Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 11.15 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It is the fifth day of the last day of the month of 2023, and this is episode 829 of Bitcoin. And as usual, we got a lot of stuff to cover, so we're just going to go ahead and get on into it. First up is BlackRock. Yes, I I get it. I get it. Everybody's tired of hearing about the ETF, but I have to remind people that as evil as hardcore Bitcoiners think that ETFs are, and they are, I, 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 I get it. Okay, I really do. I totally understand this this issue of everybody just breathing fire because oh my god, the ETF's coming. Oh my god, we're gonna moon and all that shit. Yeah, I I know it's bad. It's bad for us to do right, but we're not normies. Are we? How many normies are there in the world? There's a lot more of them than there is of us. And almost none of them, none of them at this point in the history of the planet is going to be able or willing, and that's the most important part, not just able, they have to actually be willing to do the hard to make it easy. That's I've talked about that on a couple of shows. You just got to go through the hard And then the hard becomes easy. It's easier for us, but it's not going to be easy for the guy that's still working at 62 years old, three years away from retirement, and has to learn all the shit that we learned. It's going to take somebody like BlackRock to be able to get them into exposure to Bitcoin. The problem is, and this is where we start breathing fire about this shit, they don't actually have direct access to Bitcoin. Sure. They got access to the ETF, so therefore they have price exposure. Sure, a spot Bitcoin ETF actually holds the underlying asset, but the people that they are holding it for are completely disconnected from that pool of BTC. They are not going to have access to it. This is why we breathe fire about this shit. However, just because we're angry or we think it's a bad move or whatever does not mean that this shit is not going to happen. Because it most likely is going to happen. It's only a question of when, right? It may be sooner than we think, but, but, but. The normies of the world are going to want exposure the way they have quote-unquote exposure to gold. They also don't own the gold in a spot ETF. They just have exposure to the ETF. That's it. That's it. It's the same shit. And Peter Schiff is going, you know, he's going He's just going ape about gold topping what twenty one fifty seven before falling back down, and he's been on a tear specifically about Bitcoin and that the ETF is going to fail. I, well, I mean, maybe the first round does fail. Who knows? But the shit's coming, whether Peter Schiff wants it to or not. But even his proclamations of how gold is the end all be all of all things, there's still. The gold ETFs, the spot gold ETFs have been in existence for decades, or at least a couple of decades, right? And yet, none of those people have actual abilities to get their one ounce of gold out of the ETF and physically hold it. So, he has, he's in the same boat. I'm just saying. So, let's... Let's look at this one. It's being being written by Prashant Jha from Cointelegraph. BlackRock received $100,000 in seed funds for Bitcoin ETF, and that's according to an SEC filing. What the hell does that even mean? Because $100,000 doesn't seem like a lot of money. 
let's figure it out. The world's largest asset manager, BlackRock, received $100,000 in seed funding from an unknown investor for its spot Bitcoin exchange traded fund back in October of this year, according to its latest United States Securities and Exchange Commission filing. The SEC filing revealed that the investor agreed to purchase 4,000 shares for $100,000 on October the 27th, 2023 at $25 per share with the investor, quote, acting as a statutory underwriter with respect to the seed creation baskets, end quote. The latest filing by BlackRock. <clears throat> Hold on. I'm going to, I'm just going to pause. I'm looking over here in the, uh, in the chat here. Kid Warp, are you the only one not getting audio? Yeah, I'll see. Normie investor. Okay. Kid Warp, other people can hear me. I don't know what it's, what's going on for you. I, I am sorry, but if, if somebody else can hear you or hear me talking right now, then all the controls that I have control over are set the only way that I can set them. So I, Check your speakers. I, I I don't I don't know, but I, I want you to be able to hear me. Continuing on, the latest filing by BlackRock also revealed certain details on the asset manager's plan to pay the sponsor's fee where it plans to borrow Bitcoin or cash as trade credit from the credit lender on a short-term basis. BlackRock can charge their fees via a loan instead of having to sell BTC the actual underlying ETF asset. That way they don't impact BTC price that much. The settlement of trade credits will occur on the business day following the execution date, attracting a financing fee of 11% plus the federal funds target rate divided by 365. For example, suppose on November the 20th, 2023, the Fed funds target rate was 5.5%. The hypothetical financing fee as of that date would be 11% plus 5.5% divided by 365 on the borrowed funds. ETF analyst Eric Balchunas called the new revelations an interesting development in the nerdiest way. (laughs) BlackRock was among the first institutional giants to file for a spot Bitcoin ETF back in July. BlackRock's application is one of 13 awaiting a decision from the SEC. While the SEC has previously rejected spot Bitcoin ETF applications, market experts have predicted that by early 2024, the SEC will most likely approve the first spot Bitcoin ETF in the United States. So it this is weird. I mean, this first, there's two things that's really weird about this. There's no such thing as a spot Bitcoin ETF uh, uh product offered by BlackRock as of today. And yet we have this unknown investor who has pledged a certain amount of cash to buy the product. And from what I'm reading has actually given over the money. So not just pledged, he's actually taken a hundred thousand dollars, given it to BlackRock and saying, I want, what was it, four, was it 400 shares? Hold on, let me, let me see where it was. Uh, for, per, uh, agreed to purchase. Okay, so it's an agreement to purchase 4,000 shares for 100 grand at $25 per share. So it seems, since it's an SEC filing, that the investor has actually given $100,000 to BlackRock. This, and that's weird because the, the product doesn't exist. It doesn't exist yet. So is this wishful thinking on the part of this investor? Is it something that that this investor already has some kind of insider knowledge that this is actually going to occur and that he just wants to front run everybody and get in as the first person? But here's the other thing. $100,000 is not that much money. Not to the guys that are, not to a, a, a seed investor for a BlackRock product is not your retail Joe guy on the street. There, there's To have that connection with BlackRock to the point that you can just go ahead and give them a hundred grand and say, I want 4,000 shares at $25 a share when your product comes out, that is not your typical investor. That's somebody who is in the business. 
has phone numbers on their quote unquote Rolodex that they can call and get somebody on the phone. And that is not your general retail guy. That's a signal. And while Eric Balchunas or Kunis, I don't know how to pronounce his name, thinks that this is a whole nerdy kind of thing. It's a nerd. No, this is not a fucking nerd. This is somebody who knows how to actually execute on a plan. And that, my friends, is a signal that this shit's actually going to go live. When? I don't know. But for all our breathing of fire, we cannot stop this. For all of our breathing of fire against ordinals and inscriptions, we are unable to stop it. If Bitcoin allows a thing to occur, that thing will occur on Bitcoin or with Bitcoin. That's just straight up. And as soon as we can come to accept that, then we don't have to just walk around pissed off all the time. I'm seeing some extraordinarily pissed off people and there's not a fucking thing that they can do about it. We we can tell each other all day how much this sucks and it's not going to stop a goddamn thing because the only way to stop BlackRock and the other 12 people from getting a hold of Bitcoin as the underlying asset to fund their product, which will be a spot Bitcoin ETF, is to disallow the purchase of Bitcoin by those people. First of all, that's physically impossible. And second of all, it goes against every ethical decision that's ever been made since the inception of Bitcoin itself. You've got to take the bad with the good. Otherwise, you're just going to be pissed off all day long. And honey, that is just no way to go through life. Now, for the people that are pissed off about Ocean, the new mining pool that was set up by Jack Dorsey and what Luke Dash Jr. and a couple and, and a few other people, we've got a post mortem written by one of our favorite technical people, Shinobi, from Bitcoin Magazine. Here we go, an Ocean launch post mortem. Well. Let's just say the launch of Ocean from the social perspective was anything but smooth. The decision to filter out transactions conducting inscriptions should have been communicated clearly on launch day. Instead, speculation led to a chaotic shit show on Twitter. I don't know why anybody's still on that fucking shit show, by the way. People were screaming about inscription censorship. While at the same time, inscription transactions were present in the public block template Ocean publishes. Then, to top it all off, the first block they found was actually a template created by a test server that was connected to the production system when it shouldn't have been, meaning that the Coinbase transaction did not trustlessly pay out miners on-chain like it should have. Their second block was found shortly after and correctly did pay out miners above the payout threshold non-custodially on-chain in the Coinbase so that that problem was at least resolved and their payout system is now functioning correctly. Bitcoin Mechanic, uh, an Ocean employee, has clarified they do intend to filter inscriptions from their templates. So, while the launch was fraught with problems and miscommunications to the public, they have officially sorted out the payout issues and actually been more lucky in block production so far than they should have been statistically with less than 1% of network hash rate. Censorship as a distraction. I'm sure many people take issue with the decision to implement filtering of inscription transactions from the block templates, especially in the context of portraying the pool as a step forward in improving Bitcoin censorship resistance. I personally don't like the decision either, just from the point of view of neutrality. How people choose to transact with their Bitcoin as long as they are paying the fees and the transaction is valid under network consensus rules should be entirely up to them. At the same time, though, that argument is equally valid when it comes to miners and mining pools deciding what to include in their block templates and what block templates to mine upon. Both Bitcoin Mechanic and Luke have publicly made this argument in regards to responding to claims of them engaging in censorship. And frankly speaking, from a purely ethical point of view, they're entirely right. No one is forced to mine at their pool. And no one ethically is under 
any obligation whatsoever, and I put that in there myself, to use their resources or personal actions in a way that other people want them to. Expecting miners to mine your transaction because of moral or ethical obligation is not how Bitcoin works. Morality is not the foundation of Bitcoin censorship resistance. Greed and economic self-interest is. Bitcoin isn't censorship resistant because of morality or miners engaging in some ideological dogma. It is censorship resistant because if you, the transacting user, pays a high enough fee, some miner somewhere will mine it purely out of their own economic self-interest. They might even hate you or what you're doing or look down at you as a disgusting animal, but if the fee is high enough, they will mine it because it's in their best financial interest to do so. If that financial incentive alone is not enough to guarantee the transactions unwanted by some users or even some miners are included in the blockchain anyway, then Bitcoin is already fundamentally broken. Stratum V2. Stratum V2 is not supported yet by Ocean, but it is, according to them, one of their high priorities to implement a software and minor firmware support is addressed as the current limiting factor. This would address many of the issues people have taken with Ocean regarding filtering out inscriptions from their block templates. Any miner who chooses after they implement support can construct their own block templates and include whatever transactions that they want while mining with Ocean, including inscriptions. Until they do, however, Ocean currently publishes in real time the templates they are constructing and sending to miners. These can be viewed before directing even a single hash to the pool. Luke and Mechanic have taken a very ideological stance on the issue of inscriptions and will not include them in pool-constructed templates after testing their filters for it to ensure it does not create any invalid block templates in the course of filtering those transactions. After Stratum V2 is implemented, they are literally handing the hashers at their own pool everything they need to mine templates in complete defiance of the ideological stance that they themselves have taken. They have even explicitly confirmed that nothing will be done to reject or block templates, including inscriptions that miners in the pool propose. Whether you agree or disagree with the stance that they have taken, this is completely ethically consistent with that stance. The decision of how to use your own resources is entirely up to you. They do not wish to include this class of transactions they disagree with in the templates they produce themselves, but they will not interfere with miners in the pool who take a different ideological stance on the same issue. Block templates are only half of the puzzle. People may look at Stratum V2 as some kind of solution to the censorship issue, and it partially does. After Ocean has integrated support, any miner who wishes to construct their own block templates can do so and include whatever they see fit in those templates. This still leaves the issue of economic coercion. Obviously, Ocean has partially solved this issue with their non-custodial payouts in the Coinbase transaction, but this still has scaling issues and limitations. P2 Pool is a historical example of something that tried to function the same way that Ocean does now, and are doing with trustless payouts. Because of the fact that it was a decentralized protocol, it could not enforce minimum payout thresholds like Ocean does. This demonstrated the huge scaling issue involved with such a non-custodial payout scheme. Fragmentation of the UTXOs collected by miners, leaving a huge cost to actually condense and use their mining payouts after receiving them. The opportunity cost of lost fees as larger Coinbase transactions leave less room in a block for other fee-paying transactions. This is why Ocean implemented a minimum threshold like Allegis, which is now Ocean. They can hold on to funds below the threshold to aggregate them and pay them out as miners reach some threshold. This scheme also allows, through the publishing work histories publicly, Transparent verification that the pool is indeed paying out mining revenue correctly. Is it perfect? No. Does this make them custodial for smaller miners? Yes. It's a step in the necessary direction, though. Proposals such as Braid Pool seek to completely address this issue by actually coupling a decentralized 
template construction mechanism with a fully decentralized payout mechanism handling the scaling issues of the Coinbase transaction by integrating payouts over a second layer. In this case, Lightning. This is the reason Ocean is planning on integrating Lightning for payments of smaller miners. On-chain payouts in the Coinbase will only scale so far and will get less scalable as overall network hash rate grows and the fee market matures, more creating consistently higher fee pressure. To my knowledge, Ocean isn't planning a fully trustless and atomic payout scheme like Braidpool plans to implement, but even a basic lightning withdrawal functionality allows them to minimize the time in which they are custodying minor funds and the overall amount they will be custodying for smaller miners. Again, is Ocean perfect here? No, but they are pushing things in the right direction. God, I just had an idea and I'm going to forget it by the time we, uh, by the time we finish this. Oh, well, death to the mempool. Long live the mempool. With all of the above covered, there is a much more important issue that I think Ocean is paving the road in attempting to actually address. The mempool is dying. And what is killing it is essentially poorly aligned incentives. The recent rise in the popularity of ordinals has drastically exacerbated this dynamic. When the mempool becomes unpredictable, or especially if you have a transaction that is non-standard, users have an incentive to attempt to propagate a transaction directly to a miner. Miners have an incentive to accept these transactions as they represent income. These two incentives on both sides creates a dynamic where followed through to its natural end, there is no public mempool anymore. This has huge implications for any type of second layer protocol or Bitcoin system that depends on observing the mempool to detect transactions that it should be responding to. Ocean's launch focused on discussing the dynamics of this creating opportunities for mining pools, the ones who actually receive the transactions and out-of-band payments for them to withhold this revenue stream from the actual miners and keep it for themselves. The consequences of -of out-of-band payments and transactions on second-layer systems is much more worrying and systemic than miners occasionally not making optimal profit from a block that they mine. Integration of, and more importantly, real adoption of Stratum V2 by miners can be a powerful force in undermining and reversing this dynamic. Stratum V2 is designed to improve censorship resistance, allowing any individual miner to decide what transactions to include or not include in their blocks, but it has a more important side effect if successful. It encourages strategies and observations of how to construct maximally profitable block templates to be made public. If you're a miner at a pool supporting Stratum V2 who constructs their own templates and you find some strategy or optimization to squeeze more profit out of a block template, you want every other miner in your pool to be aware of and using the exact same strategy. If someone else in the pool finds a block and isn't using your strategy, you yourself lose the revenue a more optimal block template would have generated. This means you have to share it or you are actually acting economically irrationally. Think of this in the context of -of out-of-band payments and types of transactions that are effectively bypassing the mempool because of the many incentives to do so. A conventional pool presents a single entity that information must be transmitted to, and Stratum V2 turns it into a giant distributed group of people. It's very easy to get a piece of information to a single person and have it remain secret, but 10 people, 20 people, the larger the group gets, the more impossible it becomes to secretly transmit information to each of them and have it remain a secret, especially if you want to do so in a distributed way that does not rely on any single point of failure. The adoption of Stratum V2 could walk back the poisonous incentives leading to private relay mechanisms directly to mining pools and shove it in the direction of a second, parallel, yet public mempool that accomplishes the goal of transmitting transactions that are not in line with standard mempool policy to miners, but without the negative consequences of that occurring privately in a place not visible to other peers on the network. This dynamic also has massive implications for threats, such as minor extractable value that Bitcoin is inevitably going to have to deal with on some level. 
though likely much less complicated and costly to optimize than other systems like Ethereum. Miners engaging in MEV strategies want to keep those strategies private and hidden from other miners, but this becomes much more difficult in a Stratum V2 world. You still want to and have an incentive to try and keep that strategy hidden from other mining pools, but you also now have an incentive to convey those strategies or at least the resulting block templates to all of the other miners you're missing, <coughs> you're mining with. If you don't, then you don't profit from them when someone in your pool group other than yourself finds a block. When you construct an MEV optimal template, you rely, or sorry, you relay it to other miners in your pool. When something changes in the mempool that creates more optimal template candidates, you construct that and relay it onward to everyone else. This dynamic makes it inevitable that either through carelessness or even other miners spying by devoting a small portion of hash rate to your pool, the differences in those templates will leak out publicly. Being able to see the changes between templates as mempool contents change makes it easier to deduce and replicate whatever algorithmic strategy is being used to optimize MEV collection. It's not implemented and supported by Ocean yet, but the protocol isn't ready for production. Anyone familiar with the recently launched demand pool who has locked into it would know that their implementation of Stratum V2 is essentially a custom proxy server that has to be put in the middle between their pool and your mining device to get around the lack of support by mining hardware firmware for that protocol. Once it is implemented, however, it opens a lot of doors to drastically improve the current incentive dynamics of the mining ecosystem. While Ocean Launch was a minefield of goofs and miscommunications, and people in the space taking issue with both of those things, the pool is now live and functional. Everyone doesn't have to agree with every stance that they take. I myself do not agree with the decision to filter inscription transactions, but you are free to mine or not mine with Bitcoin. No one is forcing you to do that or to not do that. It is your own decision to make entirely yourself. Disagreeing with their stance on things, however, should not detract from the fact that they are actually stepping up to do something to address very serious incentive issues that have been growing in size in the mining industry. Are their solutions all-encompassing or perfect? No, but they are at least acting to do something where everyone else is just complaining and whining. Disagree all you want about how they are trying to solve these problems, but recognize that they are actually trying. That is more than most are doing. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> so, Shinobi is giving us a little pause to think about what my, my functional theory with Bitcoin is, as usual, if Bitcoin allows a thing to occur, then that thing will occur. The whole notion of out-of-band mining, however, and the notion that it might actually take a type of a second mempool to handle is an interesting notion. However, I guarantee you this, we'll have a primary mempool and then all the out-of-band stuff, maybe those go into a secondary mempool. And guess what? There will still be out-of-band transactions. It's just going to occur. If, if greed and financial self-interest has any impact at all on a on a single human or a group of humans going forward i guarantee you ladies and gentlemen that it will and there will always be out of band transactions however the notion of a second mempool is kind of interesting now the idea that i had was just a fleeting thought but i'm just going since i can actually remember it uh, I'm just going to say it here. It is probably going to be goofy and stupid and completely impossible, but just for as a, as a thought experiment, what if, and this would probably take a fork of Bitcoin, and, and I'm not a fan of, of forks of Bitcoin, but just bear with me, okay? What if, upon the creation of the Coinbase transaction, that Coinbase transaction at the same time for no cost, actually opened up a lightning payment channel and that the minor fees were paid out directly through that lightning channel 
and that lightning channel just stayed open. I know it's it's probably impossible, and I'm not thinking about it correctly. But if you can kill two birds with one stone, that would be neat. The only problem is, I guarantee you that this shit would take a fork. And I don't like forks, so fuck it. Just forget I said anything. Now, let's see if there's uh, something going on here in... Uh, ooh, god dang, 4,200 sats from Book It. Dude, thank you. I appreciate that. Let's see if there's any uh, thing that I need to respond to here. Uh, make sure I don't have any problems. And Kid Warp with two 2,100 sats. Thank you, Kid Warp. I appreciate it. And I am so sorry that you can still not hear what's going on. That really sucks, man. You're one of my favorite people. You're always here. And the fact that you can't hear this show kind of pains me. And there's not a damn thing I can do about it. Everybody else seems to hear, and I am so sorry. Maybe reconnect to the stream. I don't, well, of course, kid, you can't hear me. So I guess telling you what to do isn't going to do anything at all. But just understand if you're talking to, you know, if, if one of you guys wants to get a hold of Kid Warp, like out, you know, out of band, let him know that I am sorry. I will let him know on uh, on Noster later on that I I was just unable to do anything about it. Uh, let's see. Keeps looping audio on my end. Uh, that one, I don't know. Have you tried turning it off and back on is what Bitcoin says. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to carry on uh, just because, wow, God dang, we're we're just already in 30 minutes of this damn show. All right, so I'm going to carry on. And for all of you guys that are having audio problems, I am desperately sorry. Um, so I don't know what, I don't know what's going on. Maybe it has something to do with the fact that, um, that I am on a, like a, a stream that is not a premium stream. I'm I'm using the good stream and not the actual big badass primary stream. I don't know. I'll have to post more than that shit later on, but we've got other fish to fry. Um, let's see. Do we don't really need to do that one? Let's do this one. Yeah. Okay. Changing gears. <clears throat> Everybody reset your context. The Swiss city of Lugano accepts Bitcoin and Tether for municipal taxes. This isn't the first time that the uh, the city of Lugano in Switzerland has been in this news or, or been on this program. However, apparently something has changed and Helen Parts is going to tell us about it from Cointelegraph. The Swiss city of Lugano is enhancing the local adoption of Bitcoin by enabling citizens and companies to pay for municipal services and taxes with cryptocurrency. The city officially announced on December the 5th that the local administration now accepts cryptocurrency payments for taxes and all other community fees. Starting immediately, Lugano will accept Bitcoin and major stablecoin Tether as a means of payment in an automated process through the Swiss institutional-grade cryptocurrency platform Bitcoin Suisse. According to the announcement, citizens and companies will be able to pay all local invoices, regardless of the nature of the service, with Bitcoin. Residents of Lugano are able to pay taxes or services with Bitcoin through the Swiss QR bill by scanning the code on the invoice and paying with their preferred mobile wallet and the selected cryptocurrency. Lugano's latest crypto move is part of Plan B, a collaborative effort with Tether to use Bitcoin technology as the foundation for transforming the city's financial system. Bitcoin Suisse supports Lugano in its plan B by serving as the technical partner in the integrated payment solution, providing an option to accept payment with Bitcoin and Tether for tax collection and other invoices for municipal services. Uh, Lugano started adopting cryptocurrency for tax payments as part of a collaboration with Tether back in March of last year, 2022. The city also implemented blockchain-based solutions, including the MyLugano app and its LVGA points payment token, the Lugano Digital Frank, and the 3A chain blockchain infrastructure. All right, so they apparently were setting up the infrastructure last year. And that's the news that, that, that I was bringing to you around that time last year. However, a lot more stuff has actually gone live. And what I like about this is that you can use any wallet, which means your own wallet, 
somebody's, you know, a custodial wallet, a non-custodial wallet. There doesn't, Lugano doesn't seem to be saying, yeah, you can pay for it with Bitcoin, but it's got to be through, you know, through an accepted custodial, you know, like somebody landlording your Bitcoin for you. Otherwise, we'll be in violation of OFAC and then we'll all get in trouble and we don't want to get in trouble. So therefore, you've got to be locked down on your Bitcoin. At, at least right now, at least right now, Lugano is actually saying you can use whatever the hell wallet you want. Can it scan a QR code? Well, then there we go. So that's good. That's all fine. I love it. Let's run the numbers. CNBC, futures and commodities, energy stocks and and shit getting hit again. Oil's getting pummeled. Nobody's buying the news out of OPEC+. Plus. They think that they're lying. I don't think that they're helping. I, I literally think the futures traders on oil, I don't think are helping their own plight by calling bullshit because the more you drive the price of oil down, the more likely it actually is that OPEC is going to just stay, you know, not only were we going to do it, but now we're going to make even more cuts. They want $80 oil. That's what they want. They've said it on many occasions that they're tired of the sub $80 oil. They want $80 oil. So I, if I were the traders in, in on Wall Street and, and the commodities in Chicago, I would I would basically not be... Poke in that particular bear, but West Texas Intermediate is down a point to $72.30. Brent North Sea is down 1.1% to $77.17. Natural gas, however, is up two-thirds of a point to $2.71 per thousand. And gasoline is down 1.14% to $2.11. I don't think that shit's going to last. Gold is down 0.3% back down from its high of something like 2157 to $2,036. Somebody get Peter Schiff a tissue. Silver is down 1.61%. Platinum is down 2.2%. Copper is down one and a quarter. Palladium is down, shit, damn near four points. Ag is mostly in the green today. The biggest winner being wheat, 3.36% to the upside. And the biggest loser is sugar, 3.25% to the downside. Live cattle is up a half point, but lean hogs are down 1.6. Feeder cattle are up 1.79%. The Dow is down a quarter. The S&P is down scant. NASDAQ is up scant. And the S&P mini is down one and a quarter percent. What are bonds doing? Bonds are mostly in the red, so their yields are still coming down. The 10-year, 4.169%. The 20-year, 4.479%. And the 30-year, 4.305%. The dollar index today is up a third of a point. It's back up over 103. It's just a hair above 104 on the ICE US dollar index Bitcoin is at, Jesus, $43,740.21. Yeehaw, bitches. Average transaction value today is 0.7 BTC. Median transaction value is 58 bucks. Block times are low, 9 minutes, 36 seconds. Uh, Looks like we've got 1.5 BTC in rewards on a per block basis. And I haven't seen it this way in a long time. 232 and a half BTC in fees overall in the last 24-hour period. With a 12.72% decrease in hash rate, we are back down to 507 exahashes per second. God only knows why, but your shitcoin indicator that indicates what shitcoins around the world are doing, are they're all up because of Bitcoin. Why? Because they all ride Bitcoin's tails. 9.4 United States pennies for the dog coin. $855.7 billion is the market capitalization today. And that is now six and a quarter percent of gold's entire market cap. So as Peter Schiff was whining and crying over there on Twitter about how Bitcoin sucks and gold's going to rule the day, 
Even after a historic climb to $2,157 or whatever it was that he was screaming about, Bitcoin has still lunched in and started eating at gold's market cap. You can now purchase 21.7 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,561,811.78 of and 5,035 of those are in the Lightning Network that is now valued at $220.1 million, being run over 14,606 nodes that we can see, sporting 61,283 payment channels, and almost 81% of all of that shit's being run over Tor. Yes, Tor for all of its problems. And we have 342 blocks carrying over a quarter million unconfirmed transactions waiting to clear at rates of 242 Satoshis per V-byte for high priority, 210 for low, and anything under 16.1 Satoshis per V-byte are being expelled from mempools around the world. And hash rate, according to mempool.space, is standing at 503.9 exahashes per second, so that's pretty much in line with what we just saw. Now, Boostograms from The Fight is on episode 828 of Bitcoin. And Fatoshi with 21,021 sats says, From what I heard regarding new Coke, marketing wasn't the half of it. Old Coke, the original, was made with glucose. New Old Coke, the original, is now made with fructose or corn syrup. Diabetes for the win. Subsidies. For the win. Government subsidized diabetes for the fucking win. I don't think that this is a conspiracy. For that to be true, you'd actually have to be competent. I think it's just a case of unintended consequences in market manipulation in the form of the maize subsidy lobby. Sorry for lack of boosts. Life. I hear you. I hear you about the lack of boost. I'm okay with that. Thank you for the information. I've never heard that side of it. And it makes sense. It makes complete sense. Because right around that time, every, like, I mean, high fructose corn syrup and the lobby group behind sweeteners other than natural sugar was going gangbusters. And it makes sense to confuse everybody. But you know what? Chances are good. Nobody would have noticed anyway. I still think that what it was, was to get all of the old Coke off of the shelves and have a huge sale. I'm not even a sale. I mean, they made a lot of money all all at once to do whatever it is that they were going to do. But that's an interesting thing that I did not know about Coke was the switch from glucose to high fructose corn syrup from the old Coke recipe to the new original Coke recipe. That's interesting. Thank you for that information, Fatoshi. Kid Warp with 2100 says, sorry, I missed the live stream. Let's fucking go. I hear you. Pies with a thousand says, I loved and appreciated your response to my comment from last episode. Thank you for grounding my thoughts and making me not feel like I'm the only one who despises the wizards. No, I hate them too, dude. I just can't do anything about them. Coach Zoma, uh, Coach Zoma? I don't know how to pronounce it. 821 sats says, hashtag all sats matter at allsatsmatter.com. Uncle Swim with 424 says, palindrome versus palindrome. Bitcorners keep the cheese in the lockbox. Thank you, sir. No, thank you. God's death says, thank you, sir. No, thank you with 370. And Chaos Chicken with 300 says, increased capital controls equals failing economy, which of course equals failing empire for the United States. I hear you. Revolution 77 with 100 says, fuck Coinbase. (laughs) Yes. That's going to do it for the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. A Bitcoin fictional anthology review out of Bitcoin magazine written by Eric Bees. It's hard. Harry Turtle Dove declared in 2001 in his introduction to the best alternate history stories of the 20th century to write about the effects of technology before there's much in the way of technology to write about. 
Two decades on, futurism remains as hard an endeavor as ever, and it's precisely this problem of envisioning what comes next that animates the bodies of stories in 21 Futures, Tales from the Time Chain, a new anthology of science fiction out this month. These aren't, mind you, your grandfather's tales of tomorrow. Consensus Network, the publishers behind the project, has been pitching it as a kind of your text, decidedly proto, the first ever as far as specifically Bitcoin-oriented story collections go. And this is consensus with a K, not that Ethereum bullshit, by the way. And with 21 authors offering up 21 different takes on a future distinguished by the flourishing of decentralized digital currencies, editors Philip Carter and Nico Lamenson or Lamenin, appear to have achieved just that. It should be noted from the start that their mission is only obliquely evangelical and editorial decision for which serious readers will be thankful. In the case of 21 Futures, the very real potential for the proliferation of brain-rotting agitprop has been wholly avoided. What we have instead is the product of a principled approach to artistic selection, a crop of stories both enjoyably immersive and intellectually stimulating, each of them wrangling in its own way the tantalizing question of what if. After all, as Charter points out in his own introduction, quote, to unite interest in Bitcoin, we must be better at telling its stories. Which isn't exactly to say, listen up, Maxis, because although some of the stories, indeed some of the very best ones in this collection, establish only a glancing relationship to Bitcoin. The truth of the matter may just be that a policy of artful attraction, rather than one of broad, artless promotion, will prove to be the most effective path to widespread Bitcoin adoption. The path, the one proceeding toward some of the sunnier prospects granted by the authors in this collection, is liable to be hammered out on the anvil of our mass media. And so the publication of 21 Futures, not to mention any of the countless books that are bound to set down their roots in the shadow it cast, really ought not to be missed. It marks the first serious effort by a concentration of artists to delineate a vision of financial freedom. Not since the poet Ezra Pound's severely misguided attempt to assimilate banking data to the contos have the worlds of money and literature collided so intentionally and for once so effectively. Everyone can see that Bitcoin and its adherents remain the subject of much public ridicule. What 21 Futures promises to do for Bitcoin is not merely to envision its ascendancy, a future, say, in which the name Satoshi Nakamoto rings out as reverently as it did enigmatically, but also to be one of the vehicles making headway toward the future. As a broad array of arresting and thought-provoking stories that any reader is bound to enjoy, 21 Futures is a tangible, self-justifying step toward the much wider, increasingly influential worlds of TV, film, and games. From courtroom procedural and Android memoir to international caper and AI cosmology, traversing a diverse range of voices, some of them experimental, others comfortably folded into the mainstream, all of them refusing to haze of equivocation as a literary enterprise, in short, that stands for something of meaning in this world without needing to make a bludgeon of that meaning, in addition to being a gathering of sci-fi shorts, 21 Futures is also simply the best kind of manifesto. And to say that a handful of pieces punch well above their weight does little to convey the general excellence exhibited by a majority of the stories. Yet, whether it's Descent Money's story in Fragments Hello Worlds or SF's more conventional but no less thrilling Behemoth, some of the collection's strongest, strongest contrib contributions really do prove to be worthy of the established greats with whom they are clearly in conversation. From Robert Louis Stevenson through Philip K. Dick to the present, this is, of course, a conversation that cannot help but to be spurred on by others yet to come. And if for no other reason than to know what it's really like right now down here at Ground Zero, before the best-selling Bitcoin novel hits shelves, before the first Bitcoin blockbuster opens at your local theater, you will want to read this book. All right, so... Yes, it's an advertisement because Bitcoin Magazine is not an advertisement of mine, 
but they do now have a publishing house. And honestly, this is important because people still read books. People still enjoy fiction. How do we write fiction or how do we write about Bitcoin in a fictional genre, whether it's sci-fi or here and now, it doesn't really matter. But how do you do it in a way that isn't cringe? How do you do it in a way that like the best writers in the world, like some of the best books ever are what's called timeless. And there's a reason that that particular word is used. The timelessness of a novel isn't because it's so good that anybody will want to read it throughout the centuries. It's because you don't kind of know when it occurred. Like you're, you're not sure of the date. The dates are never mentioned in the novel. That that's what makes it timeless. It, these are, these are, are techniques. There's a whole slew of techniques in, in fiction from, from meta stories and meta fiction to timelessness to pastoralism. There's all manner of techniques. But one of the ones that I love the most is something that is adjacent to a thing. And they talk about that thing, but they never actually name that thing by name. For instance, writing a story about Bitcoin that doesn't actually mention the word Bitcoin anywhere in it. Because you're not, that's what, this is what is the most cringe to me, is mentioning the thing that you want to, that you want to espouse. Don't, in my, and it's just my opinion, it's just my, my literary critical opinion to not do that. Because then you distract the reader. And this is one of the reasons why I brought you this, is that there are all manner of people that are out there that are now really starting to write about what comes next because of Bitcoin. Not because of cryptocurrency, but because of actual Bitcoin, which includes the ethics, the morality, and everything else that goes around it. Plus the fact that, do you know how many more people there are now that know more about economics than ever before because of Bitcoin? I'm one of them. I never used to give a shit about the bond market. And now I know entirely more than I ever thought that I would know about yields and face value and the fact that that's why banks get wrecked because they're holding them treasury bonds as backing for the, the quote unquote, the money that's in their bank. And then when rates go up because Jerome Powell gets his panties in a snit, banks shut down because they get a bank run on them and they cannot, cannot get rid of their bonds fast enough. And even if they did, they're paying 70, 70 cents on the dollar. So they can't still make all of the deposits whole. I never knew that shit before. And now it's as simple as just thinking about it for me. And a whole bunch of other financial shit as well. What else are we going to learn because of this? Architecture, history, we're already knee deep in like good food. There's so much stuff that has been brought to the surface that has been buried by all the assholes that we keep saying, if we just elect this one guy, everything's going to change and it never does. They keep burying the truth and we're digging the truth up. And a whole host of fictional literature and non-fictional literature is going to is is going to come out of all the truth that's rising to the surface. Now, this is not the last time you're going to see stuff like this. So that's why I was bringing that to you. Now, <clears throat> we've we've got to talk a little bit about nostrudel.ninja. It's a Noster client. If you haven't tried it, please do. It's on par with Primal on par with Coracle, on par with Satellite.Earth, right? These are some of the best, like, PC or Mac web applications I've ever seen, and Nostrudel is right up there with them. And they've introduced the anonymous mode. You can hide all usernames and profile pictures so that you have no idea who you're talking to. So what did they what what does that mean? It means that it's just the messages. It's just the messages. You don't know, you can set it to where you can get into Noster and communicate with all the Nostriches, but you don't know who you're talking to. You're just watching the message. 
Now, it's entirely up to you whether you turn this mode on, but this is in response to a note that Edward Snowden made. And that note reads thusly, it just occurred to me, due to a Noster bug, that it might actually be pretty cool to have social media hide who authored the post on your timeline to force a kind of double-blind perspective. You'd know the post or reply is, or probably is, from one of the people that you follow, but you wouldn't be so quick to agree, and perhaps might even be more willing to disagree if you aren't just smashing the heart button as a reflex because you like the guy. It might make discussions more communal and disagreements less personal if you knew that you're still talking to someone you generally like and respect, but you don't know whether it's that one guy on the internet or like your, you know, your actual mom. <laughs> In parentheses, he says, Noster, due to ramshackle tour support, often displays notes from people without correctly fetching their profiles for me. So I find myself liking or replying or following people without having any idea as to their NIM or avatar. And because of that note, Hazard or HZRD, which I'd take to be Hazard149, the guy behind nostrudel.ninja, has made it so. So if you haven't tried No Strudel yet, you need to go look at it. And not just look at it, go to the sidebar on the left-hand side and look at all the tools, look at all this, go into each one of them and understand the fucking behemoth that nostrudel.ninja has actually become. It's like, it's almost Pablo F7Z level shit right here, brothers and sisters. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. Now, that's not to put Primal down or Coracle down or any of the other guys because they're all doing, and Snort.Social is right up there with them. These are some of my favorite Nostra clients in the whole world. But man, Nostrudel is starting to punch way above their weight. And I think it's glorious to see this. I I think it's awesome. Now, here's a couple of notes from No Bullshit Bitcoin or NoBSBitcoin.com. First of all, there is now a new guide of how to become a lightning service provider or an LSP. Quote, I really hope that all those plebnet node runners are reading this mini guide and give more uses to their lightning network nodes. This liquidity is what is needed right now for regular mobile users, wrote Darthcoin, who has put this entire guide together. And here's some snippets from it. Quote, I would like to explain some simple steps about how you can offer LN liquidity services for mobile node users. Quote, this could also be that Uncle Jim scenario where you are offering Lightning Network services to your friends and family that do not or can't run their own node and just want a way to use LN in a safe and private way, self-custodially. Quote, this guide is not for noobs, please. If you do not have a good base knowledge about running public routing nodes, this is not for you. Quote, LSPs do not hold user funds. It just provides liquidity. This is not custody of user funds. It's just a way to provide fast opening channels and good routes for user payments. Last quote, this solution is based on Dunder LSP specs that are open source made by at campus developer of Blixit Wallet. All contributions to improve the code are welcome. All right, so it's a full guide of how to become an LSP. And this is flying in the face of what? Regulatory bullshit that's coming out of Department of Treasury, Department of Justice, the SEC, the CFTC, and any of the other assholes who do not want you to have anything at all to do with the transmission of money. Not without a license. Not without a license that you can't afford as a pleb. This is their worst fucking nightmare, ladies and gentlemen. This is their worst nightmare ever. Is any idiot, no matter what their technical background, being able to provide functional monetary liquidity in the world as of today, December the 5th, 2023? They absolutely hate to see it. And you know what I started thinking about yesterday? Lars Ulrich. Who's Lars Ulrich, you ask? He's the guy that actually started the band Metallica. He's the drummer. And back in the day during Napster, when P2P music started really eating into the profits of Columbia Records, Sony Records, 
who else was out? There was a whole bunch of record companies and they all died. They all died, not just because of Napster, but because the music industry itself could not figure out a way to go through a remonetization event of their entire, what they do, their whole industry. They could not remonetize it. So now you have Sony records and like three other people, maybe, right? But Lars Ulrich put on a suit, put his hair back in a ponytail and sat in front of Congress and bitched and moaned and complained about how he wasn't getting the money that he deserved because these assholes over at Napster were making it impossible for him to make a buck, even though he probably flew to Washington, D.C. on his own private jet. But, I mean, I get what he's saying. I still don't think that because Metallica was always, damn the man, on all their music, and then here he is sucking up to Congress because he's losing his fucking money. And I just don't care, Lars Ulrich. However, every single person in Congress, all the Congress people, like, I think he was at, I think he was in front of that. I think he was in front of the Senate. And there may have been a time that he actually testified in front of the House of Representatives, or at least the, the, you know, certain like, you know, councils or whatever, those small committees. But every single person that listened to Lars Ulrich bitch and moan about what was going on with music because of Napster and wanted them to close it down missed the point. Because if Lars Ulrich had said one single sentence, we would not be here today. What do you think that sentence is? Money is next. Money is next. If Lars Ulrich had said that sentence in front of those people, this would be a much different world. Thank you, Lars Ulrich, for not picking up on the fact that it wasn't just going to be music and movies and written literature and PDFs and all that shit, that it was actually going to filter all the way down to P2P money. And the only thing that they have left is to marshal the Justice Department and legal enforcement communities across the United States and across the world to physically remand and and, and, and represent the justice echelons of the world directly to private citizens that have been found out to being something that is even remotely close to a money transmitter. And yet here we have Darth Coin who's written a guide that is an instruction book of exactly how to do it. I love it. I am I'm all here for it because I'm never shutting down my lightning node. Fuck these people. I hope they all die. Pleb devs released a back-end course for lightning app development. So because of what Darth uh, Darth was saying about if this is if you're a noob to this shit, this isn't for you. Well, you might be able to start here first. This is also no BS Bitcoin. Quote in this comprehensive and beginner-friendly 13-lesson course, we will transform you from a JavaScript noob into a proficient backend developer with a special focus on lightning app development. We'll pick up from the simple front-end custodial lightning wallet that we built in the first Pleb Devs course and make it a full stack and self-custodial by creating, hosting our own server, our own API, our own database, and our own lightning node connection. The course is available on Emeralize. Uh, You can buy that with Sats and Udemy, and you can buy that one with Fiat. Check out the Pleb Devs community on Discord. Also check out plebdevs.com. That's plebdevs.com for links to everything, including Pleb Devs front-end courses. So there you go. If you're you're a noob and and you just don't think that you're ready for that uh, becoming an LSP, well, then maybe go over here to plebdevs and learn what you're probably going to need to learn to no longer be a noob so that you can read the guide to become your own lightning service provider in the face of all those people that are telling you 
that you suck and that you're a criminal, even though you probably don't even have a police record. And even if you do, it was probably something for like getting busted for jaywalking. For those of you that broke into somebody's house and stole somebody, something for like stole somebody's property, repent and do it quickly. (laughs) Now, all that feeds into what? What what does all this shit mean anyway? Lightning service providers, Lars Ulrich bitching at Congress about, you know, somebody trading his music illegally. And, you know, now we've got these LSP courses that are coming out and all that kind of, it's value for value. That's, that's the end goal. That's the bowl you put the soup in. You did all this work to make a fabulous stew, but you need a receptacle so that you can take it to the dinner table and munch your happy ass down. And Ainsley Costello, one of the first people to re- to top the charts at Wave Lake and stay there for weeks and weeks and weeks with one of her hits, has something to say about it. And of course, right when I was prepared to actually say it, the note disappeared in front of my face. <laughs> Seriously, man, I'm looking at my computer in a black screen. I don't know what the hell's going on with this shit, man. It's just, it's starting to piss me off, straight up piss me off. But I'm not going to be able to read it. So I'm just going to give you the skinny. Yesterday, I talked about um, a, an artist that said that he's made 30 bucks on value for value already. And that after 10 million streams from Spotify, he had still yet to make any money whatsoever. Ainsley Costello is talking about her earning like already, I don't know, like a couple of thousand dollars in V for V. Is it going to pay all the bills for her? No, but it's a start. And that's what we need. We need the start. We need the seed phrase or the seed crystal so that other things around us can start crystallizing to it. That's how you make rock candy, right? You supersat, you heat up water, you put a whole bunch of sugar in it, and you get it to the point where it just is just can't take any more sugar being dissolved in that liquid. And right then, you put a string into it, and that's the seed. And you start letting the whole liquid cool down. And what happens? But all the sugar comes out of solution, but goes directly to the string. And then after sugar crystals start forming on it, they start going towards the the sugar crystal and making it bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. You have to start somewhere. That's one of the reasons why I don't like it when people shit all over Noster. I don't understand Adam Curry. He's he's actually one of the guys, if, if not the guy, that is the reason value for value is even here is because of people like Adam Curry. And yet even he cannot understand what Noster is. He doesn't understand what an amazing tool it is. Ainsley Costello gets it. You know, Just Loud, who's the artist I was talking about yesterday, he gets it. Uh, there's a whole bunch of, there's actually a whole bunch of people. There's a whole bunch of people that are starting to get it. So, you know, just saying, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, um, with all that said, I think I'm just going to go ahead and leave it here and I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.